0: Father, we thank you for the opportunity to praise and worship you this morning we thank you for Jesus our Savior the one who paid the price for our sin and rose victoriously in life Lord we just pray that our worship would be pleasing to you this morning that our hearts would be encouraged as we think back to what Jesus has done on our behalf it's in his name we pray amen Listen to these verses from Romans 6. Romans 6.5 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ you guys can go ahead and have a seat. And I just have to say how awesome it is to hear uh, so many voices uh, lifted this morning and how exciting it is to be together on Easter morning. You know I think back to a year ago, um, how much has changed. you know everyone was home. Steve was up here on this uh, stage by himself. and uh, just praise the Lord for the opportunity uh, to be here together. I don't really have much for announcements. Uh, I'm, I'm trusting in Steve to fill me in on anything I missed, but I do know that kids are staying in the service and there were some coloring books distributed to some of the younger ones. So if you didn't get that, uh, you know, maybe they're still available. Just raise your hand and, <laughs> and maybe someone can bring that over to you. So, yeah, maybe a couple more coloring books. But uh, with that, I'm going to have Steve come on up.
1: Never know what's happening, always a little change of plan sometimes, so I hope over the last year, if we've learned anything, it's to roll with the punches and kind of be a little flexible. It's been a year of change. Just want to welcome each of you here who are in person and those of you online. Uh, We're just glad that you are with us this morning. I uh, need to get lined up here, so just grateful for your... Uh, Presence and I, too, what a a privilege! I was down here in the front, so I could hear everybody singing. It's like, wow, this is getting me juiced up. I'm kind of excited about this. So, uh, have a blessed Easter, a happy Easter, a blessed Easter to you all this morning. I'm going to pray and then we're going to continue to worship as we look into God's word this morning. Father, on this beautiful Easter day, I just thank you for the privilege of worshiping and singing these great truths that we claim and that means so much to Christians around the world. And I pray and I hope that those who may be listening this morning, that maybe are just exploring this idea of Christianity, maybe dabbling with it, maybe even opposed to it, uh, that your spirit would work in their hearts to awaken within them the understanding, the reality of the resurrection and the significance for each of our lives. I pray that you would open your word to us, that you would speak to us, that you would not only speak to us, but that you would speak through us. And I ask that you would bring about a work of change, because if what we've sung is true for each of us for whom it's true, then if Jesus Christ is our living hope, then, then it should make a difference in our lives, and I pray that it would, Lord. And I pray for those who don't know you that it would make a difference for them as well. May your word speak powerfully to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, my uh, grandparents had a farm sale uh, out on the farm, and we were looking around. Uh, They had everything out on tables and so on and so forth, and they had machinery all lined up and everything. And so we were, as family members, going around looking through stuff, and my youngest sister happened to look through a box of books. Uh, There were books on a table that my grandparents had, and she just picked up a random book, and she was flipping through the the pages of the book, and, and she found a $100 bill. Well, so she kept looking, and uh, then she found another $100 bill, and uh, I think she found three or four $100 bills hidden, not known. You didn't know that they were in there, but my grandparents evidently had, and this was known because my parents, they had a lot of $100 bills uh, stashed around in different places, you know. It's like, oh, open this drawer of socks. Oh, there's a $100 bill. Oh, open this. There's a $100 bill. Uh, You laugh. But those who went through the Depression understand. Because My grandfather tells the story of a guy who walked into the bank to cash the check from selling his hogs, and he walked out the bank, and as he walked out, they locked the door behind him. Anyhow, the story, that was, that was, that was for free, okay? The, the, the story has nothing to do with that. The point is that there were these hidden treasures that, that you didn't see, you know, that, that, that were uh, there that you didn't know. An almost empty book, <laughs> uh, was a hidden treasure, and this morning, as we look into John chapter twenty verses one through eighteen, the story of john 's record of an almost empty tomb is a story about what 's there, but we it 's almost empty, and because it 's almost empty there 's a story to be told there 's a treasure there there 's hidden treasure that deliberately highlights the value of hidden treasures in both what is in the tomb. And what is not in the tomb. Now most of us, you know, on Easter is that, well, there's an empty tomb. Okay, that's praise God, there's an empty tomb. But that tomb wasn't empty. It was empty of Jesus. But it was other stuff that was there that gave an indication that he has risen. He is risen indeed because John intends us to look at not only what is not in the tomb but what is in the tomb so that we might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing we might have life in his name. And that's the reason he wrote the book and he tells us that in John chapter 20 verse 31. And so this morning if you have your Bible or if you have a phone that has the Bible app on it or if you have a device or if you don't, In underneath the seat in front of you, if you're here in person, there is a Bible, okay? And in that Bible, uh, you can open up to the Gospel of John. There's an index in the front. If you want to turn to that, that'd be great. And in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, there are two convincing facts that demonstrate not only the reality, but also declare the riches of Jesus' resurrection that call those of us who are rebels... To believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and by believing we might have life in his name. And that also compel those of us who are righteous to live for him and to communicate this great message to all around. So I'm in John chapter 20. I'm going to begin with verse 1. I read through the verses 1 through 18. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and they were going to the tomb and the two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb. And stooping and looking in, He saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter, therefore, also came following him and entered the tomb, and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their homes, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stood, stooped, and looked into the tomb. And she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, "Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but I go to my brethren, but go to my brethren and say to them, "I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God." Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, "I have seen the Lord, and that He had said these things to her. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His word. So here we are. These two facts that demonstrate the reality and declare the riches of an almost empty tomb. And the first fact that we come upon is that Jesus is absent. It's what's not in the tomb. You know, our Lord is absent from the tomb. Okay? and There's three testimonies that are given here. Three people called forth to witness that this really happened. And the first one is Mary Magdalene. Now, she's the woman from whom Jesus had cast seven demons. Okay? So... She was the one who had been forgiven much, and those who have been forgiven much love much. She was a member of Jesus' support team, okay? not only in her presence, but also with her purse, and we learn this from Luke chapter 8. She was an eyewitness to the brutality and to the injustice of his crucifixion, and also to the location of his burial. So likely Mary comes ahead of the others. Okay? The other women are coming, but Mary gets there early, before dawn. And she gets there and arrives, and in the pre-dawn darkness, she came to anoint Jesus with the others. They wanted to anoint Jesus because he hadn't fully had a chance to do that before his, his burial. And she noticed that this stone had been rolled away. Now, a little secret here. The stone was rolled away, not so Jesus could get out, okay, but so that they could get in, all right, so people could see what happened inside. But it was a miracle. In fact, we know from Roman uh, stories and the other scriptures that they would have sealed the tomb with, uh, with the emperor's seal so that anybody who, who broke the seal of the tomb, whoosh, you're done, you know, you're toast. They're going to get taken out. And this was a massively huge stone. Typically, it would be rolled downhill. So for to be rolled away without the soldiers knowing it was an impossibility. It was a miracle in and of itself. And she assumed that the body of Jesus had been stolen. The text is very clear. It says, and in verse 1, while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb, and so she ran. So all she did was see that the stone had been rolled away because she was assuming that there were grave robbers. You come home someday, and your, your door is ajar. What do you think? Oh, yeah, I forgot to lock the door. No. You're panicked. Somebody has been in here and stolen from me. Somebody robbed the place. So you call 911. You call the police. No, this is, this is what Mary's doing. She was assuming that it had been rocking. and. She had been robbed. So she ran to Peter and John, and she said, they have taken away the Lord. Now, Mary, uh, while Mary was running to them, the other women arrived. Now, I'm getting this not from this text, but from the other texts, okay? The parallel texts. And they have this angelic discussion. Or actually, they hear the angels speak to them. He is not here. He is risen. So they left to go tell the apostles. Meanwhile, Peter and John are on their way back. To the tomb. And so then we get the second witness, which is John. Don't you love the Bible where it's like, the, it throws this there's a little comedy in there. So the two guys are going. Peter is the first one addressed. Peter breaks out. And then the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which we from all other passages seem to indicate that it was John, the author of this gospel, is the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And he's just faster than Peter, you <laughs> know. He just outran it, you know. Peter's in worse shape, so he just, boom. He has better legs, he got there quicker. But John gets to the the tomb, and he kind of sees, looks in, and he just sees the linen wrappings, okay? Verse 4, and the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb, verse 5, and stooping, looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Now, typical in the Jewish burial system was they would, they would cut or tear linen cloth into strips, okay? And then they would wrap the, the, tomb, wrap the body in those linen strips, and then they would uh, put aromatic alloy aloe on it, and then they would mix it with myrrh, which was an aromatic gum, okay? So it would form a paste that over time would harden and encase the body as their form of burial. So this is rather strange that he appears and he sees the wrappings lying there, apparently undisturbed. Now, they, if, if, the, if, if it had time to harden, then the body had just hardened and they were just kind of in this, this comb and the body was gone. Or they had, had fallen, but they were right there where they were not supposed to be if somebody had stolen the body. okay, It was there, apparently undisturbed. And we see that it would not, uh, would not have supported anybody with the, it was gone. So then Peter arrives. Now, for those who know the Bible, Peter's, I call him impetuous Peter, because Peter opens his mouth. Peter says things that he doesn't really know what he's saying when he talks about stuff. He just, ah, Lord, I'm never going to deny you. Uh, Lord, let me build you a, a temple right here on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Peter's just always saying things, spouting off at his mouth. Well, Peter just runs in. You know, whole hog. He's the master of curiosity. He just runs right into the tomb. What's going on here? And the text says that he beheld, which means he looked more closely, examined the linen wrappings, and he also noticed the face cloth because not only were the was the body wrapped in these linen strips and spice, but then the head was wrapped separately in what would be like a turban, only around the whole face. You know. And so there it was rolled up, separate from them, just like you would have found if the body was laying face up, which is what they did. And the face cloth wrappings fell in one spot and the linen wrappings in the other and they were separated by a space. Wow. So there's Peter looking at it. And examining it, and he says, and so the the presence of the linen cloth and the position of the linen wrappings and head coverings serve as evidence that this body had not been stolen. This was not a case where Jesus had come out of his uh, stupor and fought to get free from his clothing. No, it had vanished. As if the body had vaporized. No, not stolen. This is not the same as what happened in John chapter 11. You can go to John chapter 11 if you're curious, where Lazarus rose from the dead, and Lazarus came out of the tomb with all of his grave clothes still on him. No, this is a different case. Jesus had gone. And when John entered, the text says, because he wasn't going to be, let Peter get all of the information, so John entered the tomb, and verse says, it says, verse 8, so the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also... And he saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. Saw is to see with understanding. It's, oh, I see it now. I understand what's going on. Jesus is not here. He's gone. Most of the folks in the congregation know that, that I had COVID at the end of December and through the 15th of January I was in what I called my COVID cave in the basement of our un- unfinished basement of our house, uh, hibernating and isolating and insulating and separating from everybody so that I wouldn't infect anyone. And when I came out of my COVID cave, I went out and uh, went to start my van. I started my van and it, it roared as like there was a huge hole in the muffler. It was just like, uh, like I had straight pipes or something. You know, I was like, whoa, i got a hot van. You know, it's mm, rumbling like that. And I was, I was like, this didn't happen when I parked it two weeks ago. It wasn't like that. And so I called Jim Kearns up, and I said, Jim, I, I, I don't know what's going on. I crawled underneath, and I think there's something going on. So I took it over to Jim's. He put it up on his hoist, and Jim looked. He saw, and he understood. He said, Somebody's, somebody tried to steal your catalytic converter. Somebody had crawled under my van and used a sawzall, a reciprocating saw, and Cut a a hole in the tailpipe in front of and behind the catalytic converter, but they didn't get the job completely done. Which for which I'm very grateful. In fact, my wife, one night, she tells me later, she heard somebody, she said, I think somebody's working in the garage next door. Is this the biggest loud noise? And so she went to the deck, opened the deck door, and hauled out, Hey. Well, I'm convinced. So Jim saw and he understood. John went in he saw and he understood exactly what was going on. Jesus had vanished. Now, read verse 9. It says, So he understood and and believed, for as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So they believed he had risen from the dead, even though they didn't know that the Bible had said he must rise from the dead. Jesus had risen from the dead. And they were amazed. The resurrection opened their spiritual eyes to to, to understand things that the Scripture said that they didn't quite grasp yet. And the fact that the two of them saw it meant that their testimony was viable in a court of law. On the witness of two two, the testimony is firmly established. Firmly established. You see, an almost empty tomb. Almost empty. Notice that almost empty. It wasn't empty. It was almost empty. Provides evidence for the resurrection. First of all, you have the stone that was rolled away. Miraculous thing in and of itself. Then you have the body, which is absent, but it hadn't been stolen because you have the presence of the clothes in which he was wrapped. The Bible doesn't stop there with the evidence. We're going to continue on, but I want you to listen to this. Matthew Arnold said this. I think it's profound. He says, The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the best attested fact in history. People do not deny the resurrection for the lack of facts. They deny the resurrection for the lack of faith. Because if we're interested in the facts, the facts are are absolutely conclusive that Jesus rose from the dead. They don't deny the resurrection for lack of facts, but lack of faith. Now, I find it fascinating that most people believed in that time. Most people believed in the resurrection when? After they saw Jesus risen from the dead, but John and Peter believed that Jesus had risen from the dead before they saw Jesus risen from the dead, and let me tell you what, folks, John goes on, and he records what Jesus said in John chapter 21, or later in John 20, I'm sorry, and Jesus says, blessed are you who believe, who have not seen You see, because there was this guy by the name of Thomas, you know, doubting Thomas. And he said, unless I put my hands in the nail holes and put my hand in the side, I won't won't believe. But then in verse 29, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. It's a blessed thing, folks, to have not seen Jesus and to believe based on the evidence. It's It's the last beatitude. And blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. And you, if you have not believed in the resurrection and put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross as a payment for your sin and his resurrection a proof that God accepted that sacrifice, what better day to do it than on Easter Sunday when you would see the truth from the word of God, not Jesus, but you would believe that he had been raised from the dead. You see, the resurrection results in fruit. The resurrection confirms, the the reality confirms that all who believe in Christ are declared not guilty before God. Romans chapter 4 verse 25, Paul says, for he was delivered up on account of our sins. He was delivered up for our sins. He was raised again for our justification to make sure that we're right with God. Most of you have heard this verse, many of you have at least, I think. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but might have everlasting life. And then Jesus, in the very next verse, says that he was sent not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Saved from what? That we might not perish. Because we deserve to perish because of our rebellion, our sinfulness. And so our sin deserves his wrath. The judgment has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light. Hey, sinning is fun, most people. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But Jesus came to shine the light on our darkness to expose it so that we would see our need for a Savior. So that He died on the cross and rose again that we might have life. He came to pay our ransom. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. To pay a price for the punishment of our sins that we deserve to pay, so that we don't have to pay it. When He Jesus died. Everybody, oh yeah, Jesus died. But Jesus rose again. No, he was raised. God raised him. And when God raised him from the dead, he validated and he vindicated Christ's sacrifice as sufficient and satisfactory for the punishment of God's wrath that our sins deserved, that your sins deserved, that my sins deserved. So when he rose from the dead, it was God saying, yep, I accept the sacrifice. It's a full and sufficient satisfactory payment for the sins so that all who believe would be forgiven and have the promise of eternal life. See, Jesus rose from the dead so that we might live too. We just sang about it, you know? We just sang about it. That's the reason he rose from the dead. And he rose from the dead. And hey, here's the deal. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we might as well pack up and go home. I mean, because there's no point to Christianity. I mean, Paul said that. He said, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we're all still in our sins. We're of all men most to be pitied. But Paul didn't stop there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, he said this, Christ has been raised from the dead. And not only is the re- resurrection reality confirmed that all who believe in Jesus are free from their punishment, delivered, but that we have the hope of eternal life as well. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, that he's the firstfruits. And you know, think, well, I don't know. I'm not a farmer. I don't understand. Well, the first fruit means that's the first stuff you gather in, right? That means there's more coming. And that means us, if we're trusting in Christ, we're the more coming, the more fruit that will be raised from the dead. D.L. Moody tells a story of a young girl who was suddenly paralyzed on one side and nearly blind. And she overheard the doctor talking. And the doctor said, she has seen her best days. Poor child. The little girl was a believer, trusting in Christ, believed in the resurrection, believed that he had risen from the dead and she would rise too. And she said this She says, No, doctor, my best days are yet to come when I shall see the king in his beauty. You see, every believer in Christ has that resurrection hope. And it's founded based on the facts, not just on hocus pocus. You know, I've been in church before. I've sat in services before, and it just kind of like, well, that sounds pretty hokey-pokey to me. You know, it's like, oh, well, just, just, just be nice, do good things, and maybe you'll be better than the next guy, and then you'll be okay when you come before God. And I think, that's it? That seems kind of empty. This is not empty. This is reality. This is Jesus died, and he rose again. And because he died and rose again, everyone who's united with him by faith has the same promise. So the two disciples, they depart the tomb. Mary comes back. And that's where we get the second fact, our Lord's appearance outside the tomb. And there's two supernatural encounters that take place that finally demonstrate the reality and declare the riches of the resurrection. And the first one is an encounter with the angels. Now, bless Mary's heart, you know, cut her some slack, okay? She's grieving, she's mourning, and she misses stuff, all right? So here's the encounter with the angels in verses 11 through 13. Um, she misses, the, first of all, the angels' appearance, okay? These are angels, you know. It's not, they're not just kind of like your average people. The other accounts tell them they're in shining glory and all this stuff. But Mary's kind of oblivious. She's down in the dumps. She stooped down to look in the tomb, the text says, and where she saw two angels, And she was oblivious to the obvious because their position and their supernatural presentation should have declared to her, Mary, something's going on here. I mean, one at the foot of Jesus, one at the head of Jesus. Angels. She didn't get it. Then then they address her. Mary, why are you weeping? Well, Think about it. This is a woman from whom Jesus has cast seven demons. This is a woman who's followed just like many of the other Men and women who had followed Jesus around for three years, they're overcome by despair. This is their Lord. This is their Master. This is the one they thought was going to redeem Israel and save them. And they're disillusioned. What are we going to do now? She was a recipient of God's tremendous grace.